If we have been left in charge of ourselves, then if we begin appear a behavior, we can also stop, disappear that behavior. We are in control. I would like to share another example of this sequence, this time about Joe Smoke, who had been a smoker since his teenage years, a total of some 30 years. His wife was also a devoted smoker, and they talked about quitting from time to time. Joe stated that he did not think he could quit unless she joined him, so he thought of himself as at an impasse, a self-made impasse. Of course, he was right. I suggested that he was not limited and that I had some ideas that might be useful in eliminating what he called his bad habit. First, I asked about his initial experience of smoking, which was that he coughed and felt dizzy and sick with his eyes watering. I stated that he had a great deal of persistence to override this negative experience to become a proficient smoker. Now, he had tried hard several times to quit, but he had failed because he was hooked. I then told him that I had an idea of how he could unhook himself easily. My suggestion was that he carry his cigarettes and lighter during his unhooking so that he could light up any time he wanted. He looked surprised and wondered if that was all. I then added the following. Smoke all you want, but first you make an arrangement with yourself that you will light the cigarette with a $5 bill. When you put the cigarette in your mouth, take out a $5 bill and light it with your lighter and use that to light your cigarette. As you smoke, let the bill burn so that you aren't able to light a second cigarette with it. In essence, you will spend $5 for each smoke. Smoke all you want. He looked dubious, but added that it was worth a try. He pulled a $5 bill out of his wallet and put it in a special compartment for his next smoke. In the next session, he described his experience with his new rule. He said he couldn't light up in the car while he was driving, which was where he had always smoked. He couldn't light up at work in front of everybody. They would call the men in white coats to take him away. This occurred in the area before smoking restrictions, and he usually smoked several times a day at his desk. <clears throat> of course, he couldn't light up in front of his wife, so he had effectively eliminated most of the locations of his smoking behavior. On the previous weekend, after three days of not smoking, he decided that he would do a smoke. He went into his detached garage where he could not be seen by his wife. It was winter, and he was shivering as he pulled out a cigarette lighter and the bill. He contemplated lighting the $5 bill. He decided that it was ridiculous, and he put the bill back in the compartment. At that point, he knew it was over. Incidentally, I ran into him about 12 years later when he shook my hand, reached in his wallet, and pulled out the $5 bill and said, this is the original, and I have saved thousands of dollars. He added that, of course, his wife had noticed and wondered how he stopped. He didn't tell her about the money, but she said that if he could do it, she could do it. And when she thought she could, she disappeared her smoking behavior. More money saved and better health. Weird and effective.
As you think about Joel and his disappearing of smoking, he basically did nothing. He did not light up and no longer smoked. Look inside yourself and see what you have to said about this to yourself. Some will say that they could never do that, or it was too weird, or it wouldn't work for them, and they are absolutely right. Why? Because they are sentencing themselves, and they will serve their sentence. Others might say that it is something I could do. It certainly is weird, but it is a clever way to change my behavior. They too will be right. Like Henry Ford is reputed to have said, if you think you can or think you can't, either way, you are right. As long as I am writing about smoking, I will write about my experience that I created. This is way back in the dark ages when the media was free to do major advertising about the delights of smoking. Hard to believe, but flight attendants passed out free samples of cigarettes as one boarded the plane, with the result that everybody smoked on the flight, whether it was first or secondhand smoke. In addition, the movies of that era had considerable smoking involved, and the actors were frequently seen in the ads. Ronald Reagan for Chesterfields and John Wayne for Camels. In addition, my dad smoked five or six cigars a day. This was also when I was more statistically normal than now. In my early 20s, I appeared smoking and continued to smoke roughly two packs a day for about 20-some years. As I began, I was certain that I could stop easily. However, as I kept smoking and began to buy into the cultural story that nicotine was addicting and that stopping a strong bad habit like smoking was extremely difficult, in attempting to quit, I tried pipes and cigars from time to time, but that was still smoking. How did I disappear all of that? Since I enjoyed playing poker, <clears throat> I was one of the seven fellows who got together once a month and played from six on Friday evening to six in the morning on Saturday. Five of us were dedicated smokers, and each of us would bring three to four extra packs because we knew it would be a long evening and nobody would want to leave the game to get more cigarettes. The haze was such that it was difficult to see the person across the table. Add some drinks and consuming a lot of snack food, it resulted in more haziness. You can Imagine how I felt on Saturday. My friend Dave, a non-smoker, picked me up after a poker night, and we went to introduce him to another friend of mine that he wanted to meet. Fred was a smoker and smoked my brand. We were sitting around his pool having a beer when he offered me a cigarette. I didn't have any since I vowed to stop smoking once again. Not that my vows had meant that much. After a second beer, I accepted his offer and lit up. I immediately felt sick and put the cigarette out. On the way home, I asked Dave for a favor, to bet me $1 of his money against $20 of my money that I would not smoke a cigarette for a year. It was June 28th, and I think the year was 1975. Dave did not want to bet me, but I insisted, and he relented. Later that night, Mary and I went to a party where there were plenty of smokers. I brought a pack, just in case, and naturally, I did 
the urge to light up. Fortunately, I had the $20 penalty in mind and did not light up. Many times I would feel the urge, and many times I simply interrupted, so I had a great deal of practice. The next morning, when I woke up, I realized that I was on the other side of the smoking issue. I had disappeared it. I chuckled at my previous efforts to stop when it was so simple. Don't light up. Similar to Ruth's, don't bite your nails. Instead of doing something, it was simply do nothing or no thing. Of course, I still did the urge, especially when somebody else was smoking. Also, I had the signals from my body, such as headaches, dull sensations in my chest, etc., as I moved into a nicotine-free experience. However, I did not call that withdrawal. Instead, labeled it simply, my body is waking up, like the pins and needles one gets when one's leg has gone to sleep. I also saw my disappearing smoking as a gift to myself and my health, not deprivation, as well as not being a negative role model for my daughters. You can also see where I got the idea of the $5 bill with Joe. He said he was not a betting man, so that's when I suggested the lighting up with the $5 bill. One of my clients was very wealthy, and he said a $100 bill would not be a stopper. So I suggested he write a large check to some person he detested, and he chose George Wallace, governor of Alabama. He created that vision as an interrupt and disappeared smoking. There's more. A year later, June 28th, I made sure to have lunch with Dave. I told him that he owed me a dollar. He seemed puzzled until I reminded him of our bet. He laughed and handed me a dollar, saying that he did not think I could do it. I took the dollar up to the counter, got change, and bought a packet of cigarettes. I think they were 35 cents. I lit one up and promptly felt dizzy. I reinstalled the program and smoked a carton during the next week. My wife and others were aghast and worried that I would be hooked again. In my mind, it was kind of a joke because I knew there was no problem ahead of me and I smoked my last cigarette on the 4th of July. I called Dave and asked him to renew the bet for the next 51 weeks. He said he would give me the dollar now and I told him I did not want it until the year was up. For the next 19 years, I smoked one week following June 28th. I saved the dollars I collected and then smoked a cigarette later in July so that I had lost the bet and I gave Dave $20. Wait, there is more. From time to time during those 20 years when I was smoking for a week a year, I did some smoking cessation seminars, usually in the evening in a church basement. My opening remarks included a welcome and glad to see you here. That is a clear demonstration of mastery. Of course, had you gone to a movie instead of coming here, you would also have demonstrated your self-mastery used to attend a movie. I continued with the fact that you light up several times a day is also clear evidence of your self-mastery. There is nothing but self-mastery and you can use it for yourself or against yourself. 
Then I would add that before I proceeded any further, that I would like to make a confession. I am a smoker at times, just like you. I could see that this was received with a little confusion. At that point, I would say, the difference is that I am a very efficient smoker. I can get all the smoking I want done in one week each year. I would think that you are inefficient smokers since you take a whole year to get your smoking done. I shared some of my earlier smoking behaviors and then indicated that it was primarily a function of how we think and use our mastery. Of course, a non-smoker would think smoking for a week once a year is ridiculous and ask, why in the world would you do that? A smoker would be more likely to ask, how do you do that? At this point, I would cover some of the thoughts that I found useful and answer any question that they might have. I would do a follow-up session a week later, and the ones who had a preset that I was out of my mind did not show up. They represented about a third of the group. Another third reported that they had done nothing about smoking, and it was surprisingly easy. The remaining third indicated that they were not ready to quit, but that they now knew how to disappear their smoking pattern easily when they were ready. I want to add a comment. Nobody has any difficulty stopping smoking, no matter how long they have been smoking. You see, as each lit cigarette burns down to the stub, the person will put it out in an ashtray, throw it out the car window, or step on it, demonstrating that they have stopped smoking. Kind of weird, but every smoker has practiced stopping smoking as often as they have practiced lighting up. I suggest that stopping smoking is not the issue. Doing something called lighting up turns to be the step <clears throat> to skip, and the person will never smoke again, as long as he or she continues to do nothing or no thing about cigarettes. This is similar to Ruth's doing nothing about biting her nails. Finished, ended, game over. Probably too simple for most people who are into struggling to build character, and nothing worth having comes easily. I have occasionally heard a statement from an ex-smoker that it was the hardest thing he or she has ever done. Another statement I have heard, if I had one puff, I would get do hooked again. That brings up the question, who is at the wheel? A cigarette is inert? How can something inert do hooking? It must be a function of thought and thinking. There is no program or method that will appear appeal to everybody. I was a participant in a seminar where the leader asked an individual who was having, I would substitute doing, difficulty with staying stopped to come up front. Next, the leader asked if he had a good relationship with his mother, and the answer was very good. Then he asked him to look around in the audience and pick out a woman who reminded him of his mother. The leader asked that woman to come up and kneel and put her arms across the seat of a chair and lay her head down. Next, he asked the fellow to imagine that this was his mom and there was a guillotine blade ready to fall if he lit up. Could he stop? The answer was yes. Again, the way to change a behavior that is not serving you creates some sort of interrupt by changing your thinking. 
Before I share another implementation story, I want again to point out that most people are unaware of what they bring to their judgment and perception experience. I once heard an Aussie begin his talk with the following remark. You Yanks may have a bit of a problem understanding me from time to time, but you'll have to remember that you are listening with an accent. Our cultural story about accents is that they reside only in the speaker, never an awareness that the listener has an internal accent during the intake. This is similar to the concept of preset that I began with when I mentioned Dave, the homeless man, finding a lot of money and turning into the authorities. Generally speaking, most people have a preset that will be part of their umpiring call as to whether he was a fool or a hero. In the next story about a client, you will bring a lot of presets into play as you umpire.